Today what I want to talk about is risen faith. We've been through this first six books of the Bible, and I want to read out of Hebrews 11, but I wanted to give you a background. You know, Hebrews is introducing us to who Jesus is. You know, this is what Jesus is like. He is God's son. He is the fullness of God. He is the sustainer of all things. He is creator himself. He is the redeemer of everything. He is the great prophet like Moses, the high priest, ultimate high priest. He is the great king like David. And it is through Jesus that we have faith. So the author of Hebrews is saying, look, don't turn away from Jesus. Don't go back to whatever you were doing beforehand. Jesus is the one who fulfilled and conquered everything through his death and through his resurrection. Once again, today is, or or everything is nothing without Jesus' resurrection. His coming is great, but it doesn't matter without his resurrection. His death means a lot, but it's nothing without his resurrection. His teachings are important, but it's nothing without. If he didn't rise from the dead. Because that means he'd have no power. Over death. Over sin. We'd still be stuck. In condemnation. Contempt. Look at chapter 10. If you're you're there still. You should have your Bibles open to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. How dare you close it. We'll get there eventually. Just just be patient with me. I'm just kidding. I, I did not say that. But you it. No, I did. Actually, I did. And what I did is I read like one or two verses from every chapter instead of the ten chapters. <laughs> Incredible. So, um, if you're if you're a Hebrews 11, look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me. If you're not there, it's okay. I'll, it'll be on the screen, the chapter 10. It says, chapter 10, verse 35, don't throw away your confidence because you have a great reward. That confidence in Christ has a great reward, for you need endurance. Yeah, yeah, we're almost there. This is like the the setup for chapter 11. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. Don't give up because your confidence in Jesus has great reward. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Jesus will come back. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. The writer of Hebrews is setting up this whole book up to this point. He's saying this is who Jesus is. This is why he matters. This is what he did. So don't lose hope. Don't lose your confidence. Because we, and he's talking to these Jewish Christians of the time, and therefore he's talking to us, believers in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, he's talking to you. If not, he's also talking to you. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. We don't run. We don't cower. No, we are those who have faith and are saved. The challenge for you after all this is where do you stand with Jesus? Where are you now? Are you with him? Are you going to get what is coming from him? Or are you pulling away from him? Are you that one that draws back? Or are you the one with faith? And I want to talk about that 
faith. In verse uh, 38 here, whoa, it says, my righteous one will live by faith. Live by faith. And then again, it says, we are those who have faith and are saved. And so what does that mean? So go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. Here's, we're finally here. What does it mean to have faith? What is faith? What is living faith? In fact, let me ask y'all, what are some definitions that you've heard faith is? What do y'all think? Yep, yep, you can quote Hebrews 11.1. 1. And most people will be like, yep, that's what it says. Don't know what that means. So what is faith? What does that even mean? Or what are some things that you've heard about faith? Other people have defined it this way. Anybody want to answer? Believing without seeing. It's a very common definition of faith. Anybody have anything else? If you Google faith, here's the definition you get. A strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual understanding rather than proof. Rather than proof, believing without seeing. No evidence. It's just this wishful thinking kind of idea. See, there's a a great misunderstanding of faith, biblical faith. We have English definitions, but definitions change over languages and thousands of years. Biblical faith is something different. And Hebrews defines it for us, and we're about to look at that. But if we're supposed to have faith, and all it is is this blind allegiance, all it is is just this wishful thinking that we're supposed to do, it's hard to buy into, right? Like, hey, follow God, because, yeah, just do it. Just do it. Well, that's not very encouraging or hopeful. How can you have hope in something that's not real or not there or not proven? How, what, faith? Blind? Just convince yourself to have faith. But see, genuine faith, genuine Christian faith is about this life in the in-between. Don't start thinking Marvel Universe or anything like that. No, I mean the in-between, the present, and the promised future. The in-between, the present, and the promised future. The future that's backed up by the past. And even the present. So before I explain anything else, Hebrews 11. This is the faith chapter. And really, what this is going to do, it's going to recap everything that we've kind of talked about so far from Genesis to Joshua. So Hebrews 11, open it up with me. We're going to read it. Does anybody want to do some reading? Okay, fine. I'll read. All right, Hebrews 11. And it's not on the screen, so you have to have it opened up. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for proof of what is not seen for by it our ancestors won God's approval by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did by faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts and even though he is dead he still speaks through his faith 
By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleases God. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not seen, And motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world, and it became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and set out for a place that was going to receive an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable of the grains of the sand along the seashore. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead, Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, he mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. They didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. That's kind of where we've been. Genesis through Joshua. What more can I say? This is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sought in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on, on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these were approved by their faith, through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. So that's Hebrews 11. Jam-packed chapter, lots of stories, lots of talk about this faith thing. Faith, when you look at the New Testament, faith is the core characteristic of being a Jesus follower. If you say you follow Jesus, you are saying you have faith. But in our culture, once again, faith is defined as that. Something without proof, without evidence. It's just this wishful thinking. And people say faith is blind faith, just this mental decision. But according to Hebrews 11, does faith look anything like that? How do you see faith developed? How is faith described in these people's lives? Actions, choices, decisions, a way of living. But what is it linked to? Back in verse 1, hold on. Back in verse 1, it gives us the definition of faith. Who has a translation other than what I just read? CSB. What do you got, Dave? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, who else has one that says something like that? Assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Anybody else? You got? NIV says that. Sure of what we hope for. ESV says it like this as well. Um, yeah, the NIV, NASB, which my NASB is my like favorite translation, and it says that. ESV says that. But what do these words mean, the assurance? What does assurance mean? Kind of like this inner knowing, right? This confidence, this understanding. Like, I, I just know it. I'm sure about it. The conviction. Oh, I, I am moved because of my understanding, my knowing. Like I, it's all this kind of inner mental processing. Am I right? Wrong? Y'all agree? Maybe? I got one person that agrees. So faith, according to this, is this mind thing, this mental knowing, this confidence, assurance, conviction. But it's only part of the picture of faith. This is where our English languages break down and we pick a word because we're not sure what to do. Anybody have a different translation than what we've read so far? In the book or mentally? Mentally. Um, no, the, the book. The book. I think we're all using the same book. Many of us. Does anybody have a... Yeah, I don't know. So CSB, here's what was CSB. Faith is the... Re- right? This is what it said. Somebody read read it from the CSB. It still has it open. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Uh, 
Okay, go for it. Just read off the screen if you want. So what's different from here to here? Assurance and reality, and then here the conviction and proof. Different words. They convey a different understanding of faith. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The New King James Version says the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have one picture of faith as this mental understanding, this knowing in our minds and and maybe our hearts, but then there's this other side of faith, something kind of tangible, the substance, the reality, this experience, the proof, the evidence of things not seen. When you look at biblical faith, the Hebrews 11 faith, it communicates something bigger than just this mind-heart understanding, this knowing. No, it describes something that you can experience, that maybe you can even hold the reality. The reality of what? The reality of things hoped for. What is hoped for? The proof of what is not seen. Faith is about experiencing the reality of what we hope for. Faith is not the rejection of reason and logic, like many people understand it to be. In fact, it begins with our minds. It ends and, and, and begins with our conviction, the assurance, the conviction, the knowing, the understanding. But it doesn't end there. It's also connected with experience, an invitation to participate in what is to come, what we hope for. It is the evidence of what is to come. Faith is not a mindless wondering, but a divine persuading, something that is real, an experience of the future hope that we have based on the reality of the past, based off the resurrection. See, faith, once again, is this in-between moment, in-between now and what is coming. The promised future, which is backed up by what happened in the past, by Jesus' resurrection. Think of it this way. If I want to sell you this chair, ignore the tape. That kind of drives down the cost. Of what, and don't look at this part either, because I can't get as much for it. But if I want to sell you this chair, um, and I say, look, I am confident it can hold you up. I am confident that when you sit in it, you will find rest. That's a little ominous. A little ominous, right? Like, I, d- just trust me. Just trust me that when you sit down in this, it's going to hold you up, and you'll be able to relax. You'll be able to rest. You'll be rejuvenated in peace. <laughs> so this is where a lot of people stop, stop with the definition of faith. It can hold you up. You'll find your rest here. Just trust me. Have confidence. Be assured. You don't feel very confident, do you? If that's my sales pitch, you're like, I don't know about that. Obviously, you don't trust it very much because you haven't touched it. You haven't sat in it. So, So how about I say it like this? Let me prove it to you. This will hold you up. Why? Because it's holding me up. It's held, yeah, it would be really funny, wouldn't it? It was funny, the other day, there's a little stool back here for the drummer. You can actually see part of it right there. It did not 
holds the person up. It gave out. And so me and that person, we lost faith in that chair right there. But now I'm saying, look, I can prove it to you. It's holding me up. It has held others up. When I sit in it, I'm resting. I'm regaining my energy because I'm no longer standing. I'm finding rest. This is the, the definition of faith. Okay? It's not just this understanding like, okay, it was built to hold me up, so it should hold me up. It seems structurally sound. Yeah, there's some uh, you know, defects in this. You know, but no, faith is the proof of what we hope for, the evidence of what is unseen. That's the full picture of faith. Faith has this proof component to it. See, God doesn't dangle hope in front of us saying, hey, grab on, you'll be saved without anything to back it up. God doesn't, you know, uh, we watched the se- all the Fantastic Beast movies this weekend because we went and saw the other one. And then the second one, there's this big lion cat thing that's really weird looking, Chinese looking cat, Jacob or Bob, I don't know what it is. Um, and uh, he's really ferocious, but then all of a sudden, the main character, he pulls out a cat toy, starts jingling it, little fluffy thing on a stick. That's not what God's doing to us. He's not saying, hey, everything in your life can be solved. <laughs> Every single thing. But look, God doesn't dangle hope in front of us without evidence. He gives us proof. Of salvation, He gives us proof, evidence that transformation is real, that his promises will be fulfilled. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is getting at, that faith is an experience you have when you obey and follow Jesus. And it makes no sense in light of current circumstances. But when it's backed up by God and backed up by what he's promising and backed up by the evidence that he's provided, it changes everything. Faith isn't just a mindset. It starts there. Faith is acting in such a way that I participate in the substance and reality of what I will fully experience in the future. Okay, so go back to Hebrews 11. And, you know, I have it on the screen if, if, you, if you need it there. So Hebrews 11, 11. It says, By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past that age. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. What is her action of faith in this verse? Did she do anything? In her own power, did she do anything? This is where I'm looking for an answer. She was faithful. Why was she faithful? According to this verse, she considered. I mean, that's an action. It's an action of the mind. But all she did, all that she did to get this title of, man, her faith, she was one of these faith heroes as she considered. She thought, she reasoned. She reasoned, she looked at her circumstances and says, there's no way this works. 
But then she thought a little bit more. She thought about how God is faithful. She considered that the one who had promised God was faithful. He had always come through in the past. He has always fulfilled his promises. She considered, she reasoned. That's evidence enough. I can trust him. I can follow. I can have faith. See, sometimes we buy into this idea that faith must be blind faith. No evidence, no reasoning, no logic. Don't think about it kind of faith. But Sarah's act of faith here was exercising her mind. She looked at the past and how God had, con- had been faithful to them. She does the math, realizes that God comes through every time. And so her act of faith is engaging her mind. Logic allowing God's work in the past to persuade her of the future. God had been faithful. So when he says something is going to happen, he will be faithful again. Here, let's look at another one on the screen here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, the promised son. God promised, hey, you're going to have a son, and this is the son. Like it says that Abraham received the promises Yeah, he was offering that back to God, offering his one and only son to the one whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. God had promised that the world will be changed through you, Abraham. Then he made it a little clearer. He's like, the world will be changed through your offspring, through your son, that I'm going to bring you even though you can't have kids. You're too old. And he had this son. He had this kid. But Abraham offered this promise offered this son back to god he considered he considered god to be able to even raise someone from the dead and therefore abraham received isaac back in a way you know isaac was on his deathbed he was saved from death in a sense he rose from the dead but abraham considered it started with an action over here Abraham offered. Why? Because he considered. So it started in his mind. His faith started up here. He considered. What do I do when God's promise and what he is asking me to do don't really match up? God, you promised that I would have this son. You promised that Everything that you've said is going to happen through him, and you want me to sacrifice him, to kill him? Something doesn't match up. What do I do when I'm looking at these current circumstances and what is being asked of me doesn't make sense? He considered, he reasoned, he engaged his mind. God is faithful. He's made it work out before. When he asked us to leave a perfectly good home and land, God must have been able to make, he must be able to make these two things connect. He considered God must be able to raise someone from the dead. See, there's a few instances throughout Hebrews 11 of this idea of faith, this reason part of faith, this logic part. Faith is not the absence of thinking thinking things through. It actually begins with that process. Faith is what we have when we know there is no good reason to believe. No, faith is what we have when we know there is a good reason to believe. I said that wrong. I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. Faith is actually what we have when we know that there's a good reason. 
If we have no good reason, it isn't faith, it's stupidity. You're following something with no reason, no evidence, no proof. The reason we believe what we believe is because what has already happened, the resurrection of Jesus. And this is huge for some of us because some of us have many questions. We, we're sometimes, you know, we're skeptical. We want to know the fullness of the answers. Of, 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 and then some of us, we're happy with some short answers. We'd rather do the short answers than the essays. We're okay with, with just understanding enough. We're like, yeah, I buy into this. I'll follow. Don't worry about filling me in on everything else. There's a lot of us like that. But there's some of us, there's a bunch of us who just keep asking questions. We struggle through it. We see the Bible and then we see the world around us and we're like, God, how in the world can this be true when everybody's acting like this? That your own people act like this and not what Scripture says. There's a struggle. We struggle with this idea of just blind, blindly trusting. But there's a value in this kind of tenacity. There's a value in this kind of determination to get to the bottom of it. Many of us need that. And we need people going before us that have walked through that. See, I don't believe in Jesus just because of wishful thinking. No, I believe in Jesus because something has happened. I believe because I have reasoned, I've done my research, I have continually been working out my faith with fear and trembling. I know Jesus died and rose again, and, the found, and that's the foundation of my faith. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. I know it to be true. This is my faith. This is what shows me most of all that God is faithful, is through Jesus. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, which you have taken your stand on, this good news of Jesus, by which you are being saved if you hold on to this message I preached, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised the third, third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and the, to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles. And last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. This is Paul sharing kind of his faith, why he believes in Jesus. He's like, look, it happened. It happened. Even the scriptures talked about that it would happen, and it did. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And how do we know this? Because he showed up to this person. He showed up to this person. He was actually there. There were witnesses. There's testimonies of what truly happened. Paul isn't kind of just sharing, like, hey, this is wishful thinking. I think Jesus rose from the dead. I hope. No, he's saying people witnessed it. This is a historical testimony. And he says, this is the gospel that you have taken your stand on. He points out that we, much, we, we also must take our own stand as well. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not now, but not, I mean, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We have a great deal. Oh, that's the wrong verse. Work out your own 
faith, your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who's working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, we're called as we walk together, as we do this kind of thing, as we sit down and discuss Bible stories and we discuss faith, we're called to be a community of Christians. But as we walk together, we're called to make faith our own, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Part of it is a mindset. It's, it's this idea of reason, logic, thinking things through. If you continue to struggle and ask questions or experience doubt because you're thinking things through, I want to say, good for you. If you continue to ask questions, that's not a sign of lack of faith. If anything, it's a sign that you're growing and you're engaging your mind in your faith. You want answers to better live out your faith. That's a good thing. Now, if you're just asking questions to ask questions, to stir the pot, you're not really looking for answers that's different. It's an intellectual laziness. You're not willing to work to find the answers. Or worse, you're causing others to stumble just because you want to see people sweat. Or you want to see struggle. It's really more of a sign that you're not taking it seriously enough. It says, work out your faith with, with fear and trembling because this stuff is important. It matters. This could be life or death. It's a serious matter. Doubts and questions are okay, but be responsible with your doubts. Be responsible with your questions. Find ways to move towards answers, to engage your mind, to do the work like Abraham and Sarah consider. Here's what Hebrews has to say about it. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain because you have become too lazy to understand. I don't know where the rest of the scriptures went. Too lazy to understand. See, at this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. And everybody who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Explore the truthfulness of what God has done in Christ. It can stand the test. God's like, bring it. No, seriously, don't just ask a question. Seek out the answers. Challenge me. It can stand the test, the test of the resurrection, the test of Jesus has withstood the test for 2,000 plus years, and it's going to keep standing. It can stand the test. But remember, sometimes the deep exploration that you want, that you desire is for you to figure out how to search out. It doesn't mean do it on yourself. Don't do it by yourself. We were called to walk together, but recognize sometimes when we're talking about some things and you want to go deeper, we might not have enough time on a Sunday morning. We have one hour to get through some stuff. Your faith as engaging your mind, considering it can't just happen on Sunday mornings. It can't just happen on Wednesday evenings. And sometimes you may just have to take God's word on some things. He tells us through his scripture, my grace is enough. 
My grace is sufficient. Again, that doesn't mean stop seeking, but if God says, okay, you're trying too hard now, (laughs) sometimes you need to take him at his word. But engaging your mind is an act of faith that's part of living faith, according to Hebrews 11. But there's another extremely important part of faith. So let's look at verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed, and he set out for a place that he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, faith here isn't linked to thinking, it's linked, linked to obedience. Following through, see, God called him to another land. God said, hey, go over here. Didn't know where he was going. Doesn't make sense, does it? My land is perfectly good. Where I'm at, perfectly fine. And it says he stayed in that land, even though he was the odd man out. He was the stranger. He was the foreigner. He was probably the one prejudiced against that doesn't make sense but he obeyed even in light of his current circumstances but remember the stories that we've been reading recently how israel they walked through that river even though it was flooding how israel they walked around this dangerous city even though they were attacking how they were told to accept somebody that could really mess them up A very sinful woman. Things that didn't make sense when you just look at the current circumstances. But things change with God because he said, don't look at it from a worldly point of view. Don't look at things from just your current circumstances. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't going to a city built by God. No, he was looking forward to the promises of God. See, Abraham leaving only makes sense in light of God's promises. That there is something better over the way. And I want to show it to you. I want want you to taste it. For Israel, going through that river makes no sense to go right into a flooding river. That's where people die. But God said, look, Right across the way is what I have promised you will get. For Israel to go and attack Jericho, the strongest city ever built at this time, makes no sense strategically. God's saying, no, you're going to win. So go. Faith begins with reasoning, but it's also linked to action, and it makes Uh, It's linked to action and obedience, specifically action and obedience that doesn't make sense in light of current circumstances. It only makes sense if God's promises are true and his faithfulness is true, and then it makes all the sense in the world. Think about it like this. If I say, look, go buy a lottery ticket, you might win. You have a 1 in 176 million chance of winning. How many of y'all are going to go buy lottery tickets? Well, I also don't know if you're legally allowed to buy lottery tickets. (laughs) So, 
Oh, okay, Brayden can. So you're going to go buy a lottery ticket because you have a 1 in 176 million chance to win? You're going to, yeah, probably not. Probably not. But what if I told you, Brayden, if you buy a lottery ticket today, you will win. You will. I can, I can prove it because the last person I told yesterday, he won. It changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? Carson must know something that I don't. He must have rigged it or something to, to make it happen. Actually, if that was true, though, I probably wouldn't tell you. I'd go do it myself because <laughs> that would be nice. But remember, Brayden, I've never let you down in my promises. I've never, man, dropped the ball. Don't do it. It seems a little bit more reasonable to take a chance when there seems like there's something to it, some kind of substance, something you can grasp onto. See, Abraham is going into this land because God is giving it to him. There isn't proof of that in the present, but he can reason that God has been faithful so far. And this is where faith becomes a leap sometimes. Not a blind leap, but an informed leap. Sometimes God's like, look, I've given you all the evidence you need. I've been faithful this whole time. Sometimes you're going to have to jump. Doesn't mean to close your eyes because you'll probably jump in the wrong direction. No, I need you to be looking at something. I need you to be looking at something. Um, Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the ra- race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, sometimes it's going to take a leap, but God is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's been through this. He's taken his leap. He leaps so far that, man, it's crazy. He literally laid down on a cross to be murdered because of his faith. That was his leap. But he knew God was faithful. He knew God was always backing him up. There's enough evidence to that that I will follow through. This is the meaning of obedient faith, living faith, active faith in Hebrews 11. Consider God's faithfulness. Engage my mind. See how God has been faithful. But then obey and take the jump. See, the whole point of the resurrection of Jesus is that death has been conquered. God is taking the world in a new direction. He is moving the world towards renewal, restoration, where Jesus returns to make all things right. And if that's where the future is really headed, then it makes all the sense in the world to obey in the present, to receive a taste of what is to come. Jesus is what we look back to, his death, his resurrection, the proof of what is to come. Jesus is also what we look toward to. We focus on him. We keep walking in obedience. We follow Jesus. The whole world is headed in a new direction. Everything is going to change. And Jesus says that not only we have eternal life, but we can have abundant life now a taste of what is to come, then why would I refuse the teachings of Jesus if the resurrection from the dead is real and he promises to raise your own life, 
then why would I hold a grudge against somebody? Why would I harbor bitterness? Why would I hate? Why would I seek revenge? If restoration is where, where the world is going, why would I objectify others? Why would I abuse relationships? Why would I take from others? See, in our world now, it makes total sense. In the present, this world is all about getting what is mine and you get what's coming to you. But in the kingdom of Jesus, things are different, and you can actually get a taste of this hope, of this reality, by following him. Obedience is about living in the presence as if the future has already arrived. This is Hebrews 11 faith. This is why the, at the end, at the end of Hebrews, it says this, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality you might have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And they're mistreated. Man, honor the marriage bed because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Because he has said, I'll never leave you or abandon you. The book doesn't start with, hey, do better. No, the book starts with, hey, look at Jesus. Faith isn't, hey, obey and do better. It starts with, look at Jesus. And then follow in action. Live out your faith and obedience. You go back to Ephesians 2, 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. The whole chapter, just real, not the whole chapter, just that section you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked in according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath as though others were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though you were dead in your trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised up with him and us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. This is faith. The reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It starts in the mind, but is lived out through obedience. We are to look back to Christ and his death and his resurrection. And we are to look to him as we make our steps and leaps. If you need to go, if you're playing on stage, go for it. Faith is the reality of what you hope for, the proof of what is unseen. Where do you stand with your faith this morning? What will you choose to do with it next? Let me pray. We're out of time. Um, and then we'll head over to the, the worship service, the awesome service. I know they have plans. Father God, thank you that faith isn't just this blind walking where we run into walls all the time. We might run into our walls, but that's just because we're not looking at you. Faith is based on what you've done through Jesus, what you've done through the death, through the resurrection, through his life. It's this idea of, of reasoning, of, of, of thinking through what Jesus has done. The evidence that backs that up. But more importantly, faith is backed up. It's defined. It is lived out by our obedience. 
there will be times we don't fully understand things. And you ask us to leap anyways, not blindly, not with our eyes closed, but with our eyes focused on Jesus. So God, wherever we may stand with faith today, help us to figure out what is the next step in our faith. What are we going to do with it next? God, thank you for your love, for you just constantly persuading us to move closer to you. That's what faith is all about. We thank you, we praise you on this Resurrection Sunday. In your awesome, awesome name, Lord. Amen.